Tarbell Ayrtega, author of Ghost Squad and Witchlings. And I'm Kat Cho, author of the Gumiho Duology and Once Upon a K-Prop. And this is Write or Die. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, Holiday episode! Yes, end of year episode two. It's the end of 2021. Woo! Holy moly. And our last holiday episode. Oh, why'd you ever. gotta make it sad? <laughs> <laughs> Every day with Red or Die is a holiday. I don't know. Making things sad is funny to me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, whoo. Um, so at first we were just going to do a chat, and then we last minute decided to reach out for questions for AMAs, and we got some really good ones. So thank you so much to our wordies. You guys really always pull through for us. Yeah. Um, but first let me, let's do a little, let's do a little check-in because I kind of, it's the end of the year. How are you feeling about 2021, Clarabelle? Um, I'm feeling, I'm feeling weirdly good. Like Uh it's uh been a tiring year. It's been a very tiring year, but also a year filled with like really great moments. Um, and I, I'm very grateful about all of the success that Ghost Squad has had, mm-hmm. uh, all the readers that have found me, and also um, that I'm still here and that I'm healthy and that, uh, you know, I'm that I'm okay despite everything that we've been through in the past two years almost now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was a weird year. 2021 was like... A very in limbo feeling kind of year. Uh, but I, I, I think overall I have positive feelings about it. I'm, gl- I'm glad that you are feeling like oddly positive about the year. Like as a yeah. as a yeah. outside observer of, of, of your year, I've been so proud of you and like so excited oh, about you. all the things that have happened for you. Um, Thanks, bud. And I know, and like you know, a huge part of it is because I I I know really really well how hard you worked on yeah. like Ghost Squad yeah. and and like all of your other books. But like Ghost Squad, you know, was you know such a special book. It was your debut. Like there was so much in it that kind of was so personal to you. And so the fact that people mm. are discovering it is is really heartwarming to me as your friend and your fan. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I'm I think I think that's nice that you're that you're able to look back on the year that is 2021 and have positive feelings. I think that like you're you're doing a thing that I hope everyone can do, which is to see some of the good that has happened, you know, despite all of the like uncertainty and the abnormality that has been the last two years. Um, It doesn't mean that nothing good happened, you know. Yeah, which was a thing in itself, right? Like trying to enjoy good things while like a lot of bad things are happening can be like sort of a juggling act. Yes. Like, like how do I do this without feeling guilty? But I managed to let myself enjoy things. And I think part of it was like, listen, I've been through a lot and I'm allowed to have moments of happiness too. Right. <laughs> um, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? How how are you feeling? Um, 2021 for me is weird because even though I didn't have any um, new book out, I had my paperback of Vicious Spirits, but I didn't, and and you didn't have a new book out either. You had your paperback of Ghost Squad. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I would, I 
started the year thinking like this is gonna be my rest year and it was one of the busiest years I had (laughs) for my publishing career but all of it was behind the scenes so like no one saw how busy I was it was like just me telling people I was busy I was like please trust me I'm so busy and and it was because I was on like four (laughs) different deadlines like yeah exactly all at the same time like I I you know, I have four books coming out in the next two years, but this was the year that all of them were being drafted and all of the first round developmental revisions were happening. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the reason why they're not all being published next year is, A, I would die. Like, I would literally die. There was, like, a discussion to have all four of them out in 2022, and I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> um but two of them got pushed to 2023, thank goodness, partly because publishing is like kind of a hot mess in terms of publishing schedule. Um, but it worked out weirdly in, to my advantage. But regardless of that, I had to write all four books this year. And so it ended up being like such a busy year for me. But like, it's a good thing that I was busy, right? We talk about this sometimes on the podcast. Yeah. That, like, mm-hmm. it's a good problem to have that you have so many books that publishers bought that you have to work on all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's stressful. It, it's just, it's just hard. It's just hard uh, when you're actually in the thick of doing all the writing and stuff. Um, it can be difficult. But, yeah, like, how lucky are we that we have the option to like have like be worried about when all of our multiple books are coming out (laughs) my god it's like it's so interesting because i i really did think that i was gonna have more like free time this year to just like refill the creative well and like work on my mental health and and all of those things that i really 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 wanted to do um and so it's like i'm gonna have so much time i'm gonna sign up to write this webcomic too which i did i wrote a webcomic so i guess i did have something come out this year it's called free hexel on webtoons um Mm -hmm. it's the first comic i ever wrote and it was such a fun process to work on it but like i was working on it in the middle of it i had all of these emails from my publishers being like when are you gonna finish writing this other book no and i was like oh no what have i done to myself so i i do think it was kind of a lesson in time management for me i'm oh big time i mean i'm still baby author we're both still baby authors i think yes people think you and i have way more experience than we do probably because we've just been part of the community for so long um Mm -hmm. but we're still both like learning trial and error wise like how does an author career work (laughs) yeah we both are and and it's happened to me so many times that like i'll be like wait how does this work and people will be like oh my god that's right you've never done this before and i think people just like assume that i have done a lot of things when it's like yeah i am still very new at this i my first book came out last year and it is the only book that i have (laughs) um and time management, uh, learning about time management definitely was my big lesson for the year as well. Like, I've sort of set a couple of rules in place for myself in terms of like, I'm not selling things on proposal anymore. Oh my gosh. Anymore. <sighs> like, We've ever talked again. about this. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not selling things on proposal. I'm also not taking on anthologies unless it's like a Star Wars. Um, <laughs> a Star I'm, Wars. Yeah, a Star Wars. Um there are just like certain things that I'm not going to do for my own Mm -hmm. mental health and my own time. 
um, because I've just realized that there it's not sustainable for me personally. I agree. I, I yeah. I also had to come up with like a whole system for scheduling because <laughs> I like quadruple booked myself one weekend. Oh, how does that happen? Because um, you're so yeah. popular. You're so <laughs> well, popular. Halloween when you have a spooky book. <laughs> uh, let me tell you something. If you have a spooky middle grade in October, you are Beyonce. Like <laughs> everybody wants to book you. That's so just cool. letting you all know. That's really cool, um, though. I mean, cool. But, it is. But it's, it's. I'm glad that you survived. <laughs> I did survive, or did I? Or am I a ghost? Yeah, you should get a T-shirt um, that says "I survived." How like I survived October with my spooky middle grade book. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really funny. But yeah, like a lot of schools want to invite you, which is so great. Um, but like I just came back from a whole weekend of school visits at one school like six hours away then this morning I gave the like opening chat for like a school's book week um it's just like one thing after the other which is great but for someone who has the brain that I do um that can very quickly devolve into just like everything being a hot mess my calendar was like help me Jesus. Um, (laughs) But I think things are getting better now that I have a system in place and I'm trying to be more organized and doing things like a certain way so that just happen again. But um, yeah, it's all growing pains, right? (laughs) Which is good. Next year, we're both going to probably be even busier. Yeah. Are you excited about that? Um, (laughs) I mean, it's part of the reason why we're not going to do ride or die anymore. Um, yeah. I mean, we're trying to we're trying to use the lessons of 2021 to anticipate the busyness that is going to be 2022 and 2023 for both of us. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, like, yeah, lessons from 2021 is uh, be more aware of how much space and mental energy it takes to do like the behind the scenes stuff. Um, I think like as an author, the shiny public stuff like seems to take the forefront when you first get into it because it's so exciting and new. It's like, ooh, people want to come see me on panels and stuff. Um, but but definitely do not discount the hard work that is the actual writing and the reason why you're here in the first place. <laughs> um, that's a huge lesson I learned. And then another thing that I think is kind of like really important is that that I that I learned is like don't assume that like because you're not out there that people are gonna forget you um yeah that was a huge thing that I had to like tell myself over and over again this year because I didn't have a new book coming out this year and I started off 2021 being like giving myself a mental pep talk being like cat no one is going to ask you to be on panels no one is going to ask you to come to events and that's okay you don't have a book coming out this year like you're not going to be like like I felt really lucky every time like wicked fox or vicious spirits was on one of those listicles like our our top 10 anticipated you know contemporary fantasies or you know diverse mythology books or whatever you know and and I was always like oh my god I'm on I'm tagged in another list I'm tagged in another article um and it made me so happy and I just like knew that I was gonna have the drop off 
uh, this year. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I know how my brain works, and I knew that there was going to be low points where I was going to be like, no one knows about me and my books anymore. And so I gave myself all these pep talks about it. And I'm glad I did because I think the worst thing is to like have unrealistic expectations for your publishing career. I think I think understanding how the industry works is key to longevity. Um, but mm. on the opposite side of that coin, I was still invited to panels and to be on event at events and to do virtual visits. And um, I think there's something to be said about the fact that like people do still like us as writers, as as personalities to talk about, you know, our interests and stuff on these panels, even if we don't have a book coming out this year. Um, so I, I think like Don't Lose Hope was also a huge thing that I learned and like taking a year off is not the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, I think that's such a that's such a important thing to to tell people because it can really feel like everyone's going to forget me if I'm not all over the place. And I think that's one of the things that um, pushes people to overworking themselves and to all also be on social media more than they feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's interesting because like sometimes someone will go away and then their book gets announced or they have a new book coming out and it's like lots and lots and lots of promo three months before the book comes out and it ends up doing great yeah you know and like you you have to sometimes trust the process um and let uh things unfold the, the way that they they need to unfold but also remember that like no matter what your mental health and like you getting time to rest is more important than anything yep because if you're if you're burnt out you're not going to be able to enjoy the success or like any of the things that you are afraid to lose be that just like not being invited to panels and stuff like that it's okay to take time off from from all of those things it absolutely is if you have a book that resonates with people and that they're interested in they're going to read it Mm -hmm. and they're going and they're not going to just forget you Agreed. Totally agreed. Um, do you want to answer some of these AMAs? No. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll do it alone. <laughs> no. All right. Um, just for that, you have to answer the first one or be the first to answer the first one. Um, sure. Okay. Our first question was, did you ever consider indie publishing before getting traditionally published? This is from Francesca. Um. Yeah. So I talked about this in another episode. I did. Uh, self-publish a novella that is out of print um, uh, just to sort of see what it would be like Um, so yeah but I realized it wasn't really for me and um, that's not to say that I would never go back to it in the future maybe but um, for right now I feel like I'm comfy in traditional pub how about you Kat I yeah I didn't uh, I didn't actively consider it um I guess like the only time that I active that I thought about it was at a time where I just didn't think I was going to get published at all. And like getting published was mm. like, what a dream it would be to have a book published of myself. Like, how could that happen? Maybe I could self publish it like as, you know, just my thought process. Uh, but I did. I I did have a fairly good idea that if I decided to self publish, I was going to have to figure out a lot of things that were daunting to me. 
like how to get a cover design, how to find a, a trustworthy editor. And I had no... I had no pool of people to go to at the time. I wasn't part of the community. So like it would have been all trial and error. And since it would have been my own money, um, I was really hesitant to do that. Um, and then on top of that, my books, most of my books that I've ever written, except for like one, when I was in like middle school, <laughs> all had Korean protagonists. And I was of this mindset that like, I don't know how to promote that because it didn't seem to be a thing at the time. Of course, now it's more of a thing, but like I was highly aware that diversity wasn't very embraced when I first got into writing. And that felt so daunting to like both prove myself and like get over my internal anxiety about being an author of yeah. color and do it all on my own. Um, so that's the main reason I personally didn't do indie publishing. Like Clarabelle said, like if it does become a option in the future, I definitely have a I have better resources now. I have better support system and I have a better understanding mm -hmm. of publishing. So it's more of an option now after the fact, actually, more so than before. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that um, indie publishing is like a very specific skill it's like really hard to do like self-publishing um and I it, it's a big learning curve I feel because there's like a lot of things that they do and know about that I don't um mm -hmm. and I admire the heck out of people who can do it yes. because it's like it's it's a lot of work no matter what path you choose but I think that they do a lot on their own that that is just like super admirable um for right now I can't wrap my head about around learning even one new thing <laughs> yeah for sure tips for not losing your mind while querying <laughs> oh Abby we feel you so hard it's not easy to keep your head on straight when you're querying um it's so scary I I some I think like I've forgotten a lot of what it was like to query for as a defense mechanism. <laughs> um, yeah, I actively okay. Yeah, I do. Th that's something that happens. It's really funny, but that does happen. It's like a, it's human nature. It's like how women um, or, or or people who've given birth often forget what the process of childbirth was, so that they won't refuse to have more children. I heard that like uh, there's a study that they did. Yeah, it's and it's really true. Like I've told a lot of my friends, like the moment that you're done querying, you know that gif of the one um uh model during America's Next Top Model where she's crying, but then they call her name and she's like, "Oop, never mind." And she like, <laughs> that's what querying feels like. Yeah, that's literally what querying feels like. And um and and it's just like you're so happy, you're so relieved to finally <laughs> reach this goal mm -hmm. that you just like erase all the bad stuff from your mind. Um, but okay, so. What I did when I was querying is um, one of the things that I did was I really threw myself into listening to a lot of writing podcasts, which is why I part of why I was like really excited to start Write or Die when I did, because it was a huge part of me feeling less alone. Because when I was querying, I knew some authors, of course, who were also querying, but I didn't have like a huge network. Mm -hmm. I had like, you know, a handful of like close friends that I would commiserate with and we would be like 
crying about querying and 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 keeping each other updated on like our requests and our rejections and all of that but I still felt very lonely Mm -hmm. I think because the everyday interactions that I was having were mostly with people who had no idea of what I was going through or what querying was um so it comforted me to sort of like listen to other people talking about writing and querying and um sort of I sort of learned a lot while I was waiting yeah to hear back from people which really helped me because I did a lot of revising on my own yeah so all of those things that I listened to really helped and honestly now there are so many more shows than which is crazy to think about because it's not like it was that long ago but still um like there five was, years so ago sh- at least yeah but there's so many more writing shows now than when I was querying yeah which is so great um one of the shows that I listen to that I never hear anybody talking about is called The Writing Show with Paula B. Okay. And this this was a really cute show because um, she had guests and stuff like that. But she also had this thing called the Slush Pile Workshop where um, she would read someone who submitted their like uh, query and sometimes like pages and like give critique and feedback. And oh, my God, I... I remember like at the time I was working at my a marketing job and I was traveling everywhere and I'd be in hotel rooms like in my fluffy hotel room uh, robe eating french fries and just listening to her. She has a very soothing voice and listening to her give advice and like give feedback and she was always very kind um, but it was just so helpful to me to hear all of this you know. Um, so so I listened to a lot of shows like that. I listened to writing excuses which I, I didn't really listen to as much, but the Paula B show was definitely um, a big one for me. Um, and I worked on other stuff. Like I um, I worked on other ideas of what else I could write. Um, mm-hmm. I, I read a lot of craft books. I, I didn't start working on another book while I was creating, even though a lot of people tell you to do that. I didn't really do that. Um, I think because I didn't really have any ideas of what to write next, to be quite honest. Um, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm going to be writing this book for the next 10 years, right? <laughs> Wrong. Um, but um, but I, I did a lot of reading uh, for critique partners and giving feedback. Uh, I, I immersed myself in the writing world um, in an effort to keep my brain busy and preoccupied with writing related things I guess and that really helped and just having like those those good friends that I could talk to when I was feeling anxious mm-hmm. and worried um and um and yeah that's that's pretty much what I did I I I I think that that helped me a, a lot um I, I loved sort of like being in that world. Maybe it could be different for other people. Maybe they want to avoid hearing about other people's query letters. I don't know. <laughs> I found it like weirdly soothing. I also like any movie about querying or writing. I wanted to watch it. There's movies um, about there was querying? This, yes, there is this really weird movie. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be like, who is the guy who was in... American Pie, I think. Jason he Biggs? Was like, not Jason Biggs. Um, hold on. 
John Cho? Uh, Chris Klein. Oh, Chris Klein. Let me okay. see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so Chris Klein um, was in a movie about authors with that other girl from that show, The Big Bang Theory, I think. Okay, like Cuoco? Yeah, and it was about authors, and there was like a bunch of... Uh, authors Anonymous, it's called. Oh. It's about a writer's group. Oh, really? It's Yeah, it's about a writer's group, and... Um, and Kaylee's character writes like young adult fiction okay and she becomes like an overnight success and all the other authors hate her because of it and um and it's told through like in like an office type style where it's like a documentary kind of it's not exactly a great movie (laughs) (laughs) but it is really interesting um and I and and because it was about writing and the writing world and querying and like agents and like all this stuff, like I I was like, ooh, like so intrigued, like really wanting to watch it. And I watched it so many times. How accurate is it? Um, I to be honest, I don't I I don't a hundred percent remember, but it felt very true to life in a okay. lot of ways. Um, like how some people just do really well out of nowhere and other people feel like they're falling behind, but they're really not. Oh. And how some people decide to self-publish, but they go with like a company that's a scam. Oh, no. All of that happens in the book. Oh, no. <laughs> in the movie, I mean. Um, so I'm going to watch I, it. I, if you can find it. It used to be on Netflix. I, okay. Um, it looks I'm like not... it's on Amazon Prime. And and if you have YouTube TV, then it's on that so too. yeah go for it it's very uh <laughs> it's very entertaining so anything like that like i definitely um i i did it kept me busy and like i i, I loved doing that that's nice <laughs> you know i it sounds like um you just i just i did something similar to you but i was very like academic about it i don't want to say asian i don't want to stereotype asians but i i wanted to make sure that if I failed this round, then I was better prepared for the next round. So I mm. like did a lot of things you did to like self-educate about the industry, like things that maybe I, I didn't know the last time around. And I did listen to a lot of podcasts and I, I read a lot of blogs, you know, blogs do still exist. You guys, they're out there. Um, they do. And so I, I did that a lot. I did try to work on the next project, if only because like it made me feel less pressure for this one. Like it's like this isn't mm-hmm. all I have. I have I have other things going yeah. on. Like and that's smart. That's really smart. Yeah, it was more for the mentality. I was I just needed it. I needed to know that like I didn't have all my eggs in one basket. Um, and that's just how mm-hmm. my brain works. So I did start to work on the next project for that as well. And I did start to try. I didn't really start to try to become part of the community until I had started querying. And I don't know if it was like a mental block. Like I'm like, I'm not a real author because I haven't tried yet. And now that I've tried, I can be part of the community. I don't know if that's what it was or if it was more like I needed to commiserate with people who knew what I was going through. But either way, like that's one of the most positive things that came out of my failed querying attempts was the fact that I like finally put myself out there and finally met other writers yeah Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah. i i started a writing group around that time too like from meetup which i don't know if anybody's ever used that i did Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And I actually also lied because I did write another book while I was querying. <gasps> I just forgot about it. You lied to our faces. It was my, it was my Sims book. Oh, yeah. I do. I remember mm-hmm. that one. Um, but yeah, so those are the things that we did. Um, yeah. If you want podcast suggestions, I believe we have those somewhere on our website. <laughs> yeah i'll link i'll definitely we can can link yeah we'll link some into the show notes of this episode yeah including the the definitely um uh the writing show with paula b i want everyone to to listen to okay i'm gonna write this down the writing (laughs) show with paula b okay (laughs) okay um okay next question is oh this one's very open-ended what's the biggest mistake you've made since you started writing professionally from Akeem um I think for me it was definitely taking on too many projects at once same um (laughs) that's it that's that's the whole thing and selling too many things on proposal because it you think you get more time to write the book, but you get the same amount of time basically to write and revise that you than you did to like just revise sometimes. And yeah. it's hard. And so don't do that. <laughs> don't do that if you can avoid it. Yeah. And don't do if that. You can avoid it, run. Don't do that because you feel rushed. That's the worst reason to do anything mm-hmm. in publishing because you because you are rushing yourself. Um yeah. there's a difference between being rushed by external forces like you already signed the contract you have the publishing date it's in the works but if it's like you could have given yourself more time before you sent out the book Mm -hmm. then really consider giving yourself that extra time yeah for sure yeah um okay next question any advice on when or how to know it's the right time to part with an agent from gloria um if you're considering it, then that's a, that's already a red flag to me. That's already <laughs> yeah. like, okay, why? Why are you considering it? Um, write down all the reasons and talk to somebody about it who has hopefully had more experience, especially someone who's left an agent before. Uh, it can be scary and feel like you're taking a step backwards. Uh, but I think that um, when's the right time is going to differ, you know, by author by agent by situation but if you're already asking yourself that question then it's worth investigating yeah i agree and from a logistics standpoint i think that it's understandable that you might be like well i can't part with them right now because we're on submission right i get Mm. that mindset but i also do think it's worth examining if you're saying that because you're scared to pull the plug or if it's really like you think this book is about to be sold and you want to let that run its course and it's like within, but like it's about to be sold within like weeks, you know, not like, oh, maybe it'll get sold in the next six months. Um, I think that it's, it's, there's always outs, no matter what process, what stage of the process you're out, you're at, you could always pull your, any project that's on submission with that agent. Um, you know, even if you did just sign a contract with a publisher with that agent as your representation, you're still allowed to leave that agent. It, that agent yeah. will still get commission, and that's fine. That's standard. There are there are parameters and and um, there's things in place that help that happen. And any future agent you might sign with understands the process. 
Um, and they wouldn't say no to you just because the other your old agent gets all the old commission. They, that, that would be ridiculous. That Then that yeah. new agent is a shame agent probably. Um, so yeah, I think that you should really do a lot of ex- self-examination about why you're holding off. And you know, it's fair that you're examining and the reason you're holding off is like that the main reason you got, you were upset was like a miscommunication and it could be talked through. And you're like, you know what? Actually, it's not as bad as I thought it was. Um, yeah. That's fair. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Next question is, what do you say to people asking for agent referrals, trying to use you for agent contacts? This is from Caitlin. I say no. (laughs) Unless I I say, I I usually say no, um, unless it's a very good friend. And then I explain to them, like, maybe, but it's not going to make much of a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, But my, my good friends don't ask me. Yeah. uh, Those things. Honestly. (laughs) It's always randos. Honestly, like. If I'm going to, if I'm willing to refer you to an agent, I'm going to offer it first. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I exactly. have, I have offered it first. Like I've talked to friends who want to leave their current agent sometimes. And I'm like, when you're ready to query again, let me know because I think so-and-so would be a great fit for you. And I have a personal relationship mm-hmm. with them and I'd be happy to refer you to them. Um, but I've always offered it first when I'm willing to do it. Um, and I've never said yes. When someone has asked me first, because like Clarabelle said, the only people who ever ask me first are people I'm not actually friends with. Yeah. And people can get really nasty, too, like as if I owe them something. Um, I have a writer FAQs page, like a writer resources. So I usually tell them like, hey, I don't really do referrals. Um, Your best bet is to reach out to them. And then I send them the page and literally the first FAQ says, can you introduce me to your agent? And I say, no, I can't. (laughs) Um, So hopefully they get the hint that like that this is not how you go about anything in this industry. You got to do your own legwork. I'm like, I'm not your secretary. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I mean, just happened to me like a couple days ago. So I'm, oh, I'm salty. Oh no. <laughs> well, here's the thing is that like, it's, it's, there's more that goes into a referral than just saying, Hey, read this person's book and then walking away. It's like, you're using your right. social capital. You're vouching for that person. And so then, then like an agent will trust you because if you have a good enough relationship with that agent to be able to be a referral, that means that you're friendly with them. And so if they trust you and they open themselves up to the stranger and then something, God forbid, goes wrong or that new author takes advantage of this agent, then they'll, the agent will probably come to you and be like, Hey dude, like, why did you refer this person to me? Like, do do you even know them? Hey, dude. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it is our social capital and it stinks sometimes, but um, networking and relationships is a huge part of this industry. So asking someone to go out on a limb for you when you don't even know that person really outside of like replying to them a few times on Twitter, like that's a huge ask. So yeah, huge. Yeah. Huge ask. Um, okay. Uh, should self-publishing ever be an option? Sure. Yeah. It's it's a very viable option. It just depends on what you're looking for, what your skill set is, how much you're l- willing to learn or pay for. I actually have on my writer resources page on my website, I have a whole sort of like run through of 
the the basic differences between the two paths Mm -hmm. um, and what they look like. So if you're curious, I would just say jump into researching both of them with a very open mind to be able to say no to each to to either or because I find like a lot of times when people ask questions about um, traditional or self publishing, if you already have your mind made up, uh, you're going to tend to look for resources that agree with you already. Don't do that. Like really look for all the pros and cons of each and weigh them like super objectively because either one is going to have good and bad things. Agreed. Definitely agreed. Um, I have nothing to add to that one so we can move on. <laughs> no notes. No notes. Perfect. A plus. When did you yep. know you wanted to write books? This is from Emma. Um. It took me, I, 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 it's, it's a childhood dream of mine, but like, I, it was a very vague concept for me when I was younger. Like I want to be R.L. Stein, um, and not like, how can I do that? Like, how can I actually like, it's not like kids today who are like 14 and querying already. Oh my gosh. I I didn't know what I was doing, you know? Um, and I think that when, when I really seriously sat down to be like, wait, no, this is what I want to do was probably um in my like mid-20s okay mm-hmm. i i went i went like mine if it was like a graph it's like a wave like goes up and down and up and down because i really wanted to be a writer when i was younger like super duper like went around between middle school and the beginning of high school like i really wanted to be a writer and i wrote a bunch of books in like little spiral notebooks and I, the last book I wrote was like an, this epic, like romance murder mystery. And I, I remember like writing it and being like, this is good. <laughs> like with the confidence of that only a 14 year old could have, you know, I'm like, yeah. this is a really good book, you guys. And like, I like let my friends read it and they all said it was really good. And I was like, I could be published. And so um but then you know kind of reality sunk in and also like you know i'm a kid of an immigrant wanted the best life for me wanted a stable Mm -hmm. job so not that my parents actively were like do not be a writer but they were like okay you could write on the side and still go into medicine yeah so i gave up that dream end of high school beginning end of high school and in college because i i really worked towards a career in medicine which I did go into yeah. at first and I only came back to writing again when I went through some personal tragedy and I just needed a outlet you know for all my feelings and writing ended up yeah. being that um so I think like the the very direct answer to when did you know you want to write books was when I was a kid but yeah the roundabout answer which I mostly just gave is that I didn't pursue it until I was a full-grown adult who already had a, another career under my belt. Yeah. Which happens to a lot of people, you mm-hmm. know? I, like, we say all the time here, like, age is not a factor when it comes to publication. It's it's kind of an amazing career in that sense. Like, mm-hmm. anyone of any age can get published at any time, and that's beautiful. Yeah. It's dope. Super dope. Okay. Um plotter or pantser or a bit of both i am a converted pantser i am now a plotter <laughs> you've been converted to the church of plotter <laughs> yeah i like knowing what i'm doing now and i don't have time to rewrite an entire book anymore like i used to so i have to 
be meticulous in my outlining Mm -hmm. unfortunately can't be just vibes anymore (laughs) i think that's so true though it's like it's the business get once you once you get into the business part of it you do have to change your strategies a lot of the time because of Mm -hmm. how much time you can commit to the writing the act of writing itself and how much time you get to write the book i i'm similar in that i was originally like a pure the purest of pantsers like I'm not even joking like the very first book that I wrote when I first got into writing again I pants the shit out of that in 19 days I wrote a hundred thousand words and it was all <laughs> oh my feelings. god oh my gosh it was all feelings and you know what I will say that like there were some good bits of that book like it wasn't all trash mm-hmm. because like yeah. I really just went with my heart and the so the mm-hmm. moments that like were very emotion based scenes probably were the purest emotions that you could read in a book uh, by me and read in a book by me right but like the reason why i could get it out so fast was that i included every trope under the sun it was like okay first first there's the meet cute and then there's the fact that she has amnesia and then there's like the mysterious people who have to attack her because she has amnesia and she doesn't remember them and then you know like and then there's like the ex-boyfriend who does recognize her and oh my god it's a love triangle you know like all of that stuff um yeah was in it so that did guide my way <laughs> but then i got into publishing as my day job i was an editor and i had to literally edit other people's books and be like what's the plot what's the plot you know and so i had to plot other people's books or help them plot their books and that kind of converted me a little Mm bit um i'm a hybrid writer though i'm a little bit of both yeah yeah For Luceli Luna, ghosts are more than just the family business. Shortly before Halloween, Luceli and her best friend Sid cast a spell that accidentally awakens malicious spirits wreaking havoc throughout St. Augustine. Together, they must join forces with Sid's witch grandmother Babette and her tubby tabby chunk to fight the haunting head-on and reverse the curse to save the town and Luceli's firefly spirit before it's too late. With the family dynamics of Coco and action-packed adventure of Ghostbusters, Clarabel A. Ortega delivers both a thrillingly spooky and delightfully sweet debut novel with Ghost Squad. Order today at buyghostsquad.com. Gumi Young has a secret. She's a Gumiho, a shape-shifting nine-tailed fox that must hunt down men and devour their energy in order to live forever. No one in modern-day Seoul believes in the old tales anymore, which makes it the perfect place to hide and to hunt. But Miyoung's life is turned upside down when she saves the life of a human boy on Jihoon. And after Miyoung saves Jihoon's life, the two form a tenuous friendship that blooms into romance, setting them down a path that will soon force Miyoung to choose between her immortal life and Jihoon's. Wicked Fox and its companion novel Vicious Spirits finds inspiration in Korean mythology, culture, and K-dramas. Wicked Fox has been called a vibrant debut novel that employs Korean genre conventions for an utterly original take on the young adult fantasy by Entertainment Weekly and fresh and fast-paced by School Library Journal Review. Wicked Fox and Vicious Spirits are out now from Penguin Random House wherever books are sold. Um, okay, now we've got some... A, a change of pace. A change of pace. We Well, we did... When we did the AMA 
we were like, you can ask questions about our book specifically. So people did ask themed questions, but Clarabelle, I think you can answer these first two as well. Uh, yeah, I can. Okay. So this first one, which was asked on, on my account, but I, I feel like I really want to know, um, well, not, I, I just want to talk to Clarabelle about their feelings about it, was what was the first K-drama you watched? So Clarabelle, you go first. Uh, um, the first K-drama I watched was Boys Over Flowers. Yes! Um, um, because of Kat. Like, and anything, anything Korean that I am into is because of Kat. Like, Kat tells me the whole history of it and like... Like, I got into K-pop because of Kat. Like, everything is because of Kat. Um, so Kat, Kat started telling me about this book that she was working on. And, like, sh- we started talking about uh, Boys Over Flowers because um, it was, like, one of the comps that you used. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And you were like, yeah, you should watch it. And so I watched it. And then I was like, I love K-dramas now. And so, of course, Kat made me a spreadsheet. I did. <laughs> Of all the K-dramas that I should watch based on, like, what she thought I would like. So I've watched a lot since then. I've watched a bunch of K-dramas. Um, but that was my very first one. And it'll always hold a special place in my heart. Yay! It reminds me I should update that spreadsheet because I have more that I want you to watch. Oh, yes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad that you liked it. What was, like, what was one big thing that, like, really pulls you into it? Um... I loved how, well, with Boys Over Flowers especially, because it's a little different than, like, the newer K-dramas in that it was, like, even though they still have elements of this, in my opinion, where they, they're, they're, they're fun and funny and, like, not afraid to, like, not take themselves too seriously yes. at times. Um, even when they have, like, a serious timeline, uh, like, um, a, a serious uh, storyline within the key drama itself like I find like so many of them start off like really quirky and funny mm-hmm. and I just really love that like even W like which is so intense Ugh. started off like super funny and yeah. like fun and I love the balance of like humor with drama and like I always tell Kat I really love the fact that when you watch a key drama every character no matter how small has a special moment Mm -hmm. and like a storyline and like character development and I just really like that because it made it feel more like real life it's like so rich and so well written um and so entertaining like k-dramas helped me tons when it comes to like getting through covid because you really get lost in them because the storytelling is so good um and like now i barely ever watch shows that aren't k-dramas now Uh, okay and i'm like they're already having sex ew (laughs) disgusting it took this k-drama 17 episodes before they even held hands i i cannot deal with this but um but yeah it's i've got i've gotten really used to just like the richness and the quality of the stories they're just very 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 good um and i would totally totally take a workshop from any of these writers because i feel like they're masters at it like they know how to hook people in and i've actually looked to k dramas when it came to crafting certain things for witchlings like oh really i mm-hmm. like i was like what is it that makes me makes the payoff so good 
And I really thought about that for a lot of the K-dramas that I watched and I like wrote, took notes and um, it's helped me as a storyteller, which, you know, is great. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh, well, I think, I do think that K-dramas, okay, I will say this, just like any type of media there can be bad k-dramas and there are and i've watched mm-hmm. a lot of bad k-dramas <laughs> one of the reasons clarabelle has it is because i'm recommending them to <laughs> i have a guide i have a guide right yeah i have a i have i have a, a concierge <laughs> you, yeah you have a k-drama concierge you make sure you don't watch the bad ones i watch the bad ones so you don't have to um but oh my god that's a business i know right but i will also <laughs> say that like when a K-drama is good, the way, the reason it's good is a lot of what Clarabelle was saying. It's like it's such it's it concentrates so much on the human aspect of it, the relationships. And it's a very I mean, not to like get too proud of my Korean heritage or anything, but it's that's how Koreans think of things in life. It's like everything we do is in relation to the people around us. Like we are always caring so much about our relationships with other people. And Um, you could call this good or not like it is very much of like the societal mindset of Asian cultures of being like the things I do affect how my parents are seen how my family is seen how my culture is seen how my community is seen so my relationships are always important to me I'm always thinking about it when I make decisions about what I do or how I'm perceived or you know my successes or my failures um so that's why relationships are so important in K-dramas. And that's why I love them because I do think like no one exists in a vacuum. Every yeah. decision you make is inspired by your your interactions with other people. So I love, love, love K-dramas. Sorry to go on that tangent. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're really good. They're just so good. But wait, what was your first one that you watched? Okay, so the first, um, I guess the, f- the first one that I ever watched I will say I don't know the name of it, but the reason it sticks out in my head was that I was visiting my hominy, my grandmother in Korea, and she would watch K-dramas all the time and she wouldn't turn them off just because I would like come into the room. And I was like really I was fairly young. I was like maybe like seven at the time and I we were the only two awake and I and she was watching her K-drama and I sat with her and it was this like uh um Saga, which is like a, a historical K drama, and it was it it was a scene where this woman who was pregnant was giving birth, and she was in a field, and there was no one around, and she was like in so much pain, and she just had to give birth in this field, and then she passes out, and then she wakes up, she like lost a lot of blood, and she passes out, and then she wakes up, and her baby is dead because. No. She was like out in the middle of nowhere and no one found her for like a really long time. And the baby like, you know, the elements killed the baby. And and I was like seven oh. and I was traumatized. <laughs> oh, geez, Louise. But um, that was really intense. That was like <laughs> you would think I would never watch a K-drama again after that. But the first one that I got really addicted to was called Winter Sonata. Mm. And um, I think it came out like in the early 2000s. And it's, like, one of those shows where it starts off where the characters are, like, much younger. And then it, like, follows them, like, over the mm. course of their life, right? And, um, and like, like then they grow up and, and you know, they 
they separate and they come back together like 10 years later. Like, so um, it's kind of like these two teenagers, like high school teenagers who like meet by chance, like in school um, and like they forge like a really close friendship. And then um, like one of them gets like really injured and then they get like amnesia, like all of the things. Um, and then it's like 10 years late and then it's like 10 years later. Right. Um, (laughs) and they find each other again and it's like really, it's a melodrama. It's like super duper duper dramatic and I loved it and I was obsessed with it. Like super duper obsessed with it. It sounds intense. (laughs) It's, it's really intense and it's very, it's older than Boys Over Flowers. So it's like even more stylized um, than that one. Yeah. It's such a melodrama though. Um, Mm. I will say that for people who are trying to get into K-dramas because they really love Squid Game, Squid Game does have a lot of things that are very K-drama. Like what Claribel said, like it very much goes into the backstory of this huge ensemble cast. Um, It does a really good job of like making you understand and care about all the different characters, which is a very K-drama Mm-hmm. thing to do but on the other hand you should also know that squid game was actually turned down by most korean networks for years and years and years and years because it was so different from what a lot of korean networks wanted from k-dramas so it's mm-hmm. not very representative of k-drama the core of what you would call k-dramas like like it's like the tone of squid game um, for me, as like a, a someone who um, loves Korean media, actually fits more with Korean film, which is which Got it. definitely yeah. goes pushes the envelope way more than K dramas in terms of like the kind of psychological aspects of it. It's very yeah. much like Parasite, you know. Um, so I do want to like caution people: like, don't think that like every K drama is going to be like Parasite. Right. But I will also say, like, there's such beautiful things about K-dramas. And I really, really do think more people should, like, explore and get into it because there's, like, such amazing storytelling in it. Yeah. I I don't think I'm watching that show because it's, it's too scary. I'm just going to read the <laughs> synopsis on Wikipedia. I, yeah. Yeah, it's too much for it's me. It's too much. It's too much. Like, if there's there's old people suffering. I can't do it. Yeah, no it's sad. It's super sad. Okay, let's do this last question and then we'll wrap up. Sure. So, top three favorite K-pop groups. <laughs> I want you to answer first again. <laughs> okay. Um, well, my favorite is BTS. Woo! As Cat knows, yes. I love them very much. Um, I also really like Twice. Oh yeah, um, very different sound. <laughs> very different, but I really like their songs um, and their choreography. I feel like is really cute and fun, and I love their videos. Um, and then my third one is, this is probably the person that I listen to the most. It's not mm-hmm. a group, but CL. Yes, just everything to me. I love her. Her album, her new album's dropping really soon. <laughs> um, at the time of this recording, so I'm so excited for it. I just think she's iconic and amazing, and I love her. Love, love, love that. Yeah, that's a very eclectic and diverse top three. Yeah. I, I, I think that's kind of great, though, because I think if people are like, hmm, what should I listen to if I want to listen to K-pop? And if they listen to, like, songs from each of those three people, they'll get a huge 
taste of the broad spectrum that is k-pop that's actually really right. cool yeah yeah because it's like you have like the the girl group you have like a former girl group member who's yeah. like very unique and like just a legend right <laughs> yeah and then you have bts who's like adorable and great and, and makes global. really good music but obviously also like cat always says like their korean music i feel like their korean language music i feel like is a lot richer than their mm-hmm. english songs not that i don't like them i do love like butter and dynamite and all of those but they're more like candy <laughs> yeah for sure it they're you know um okay so top three favorite k-pop groups i'm actually going to not include your top three favorite in mine okay um so it's cheating a little bit because like I'm just going to, like, let everyone assume that those groups are my top favorites, because they are. (laughs) Um, So, starting old school, Big Bang. Such a a good good group. (laughs) And their music is so good. I mean, they're the kings of K-pop, pretty much. Like, Mm. they really are. uh, They, not just because they have, they they top the charts and they have, like, such huge album sales. They've literally influenced other groups sound like they influenced bts bts is inspired by big bang period that's a fact um yeah the light sticks that you see in k-pop big bang invented Mm -hmm. those like those didn't exist before big before g dragon like drew big bang's light sticks and it became a thing right so love 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 them another old school group is shiny oh I love Shiny so much, you guys. They're my babies. I I love Big Bang because I respect them so much and they're so good. But Shiny, like, was the group of my heart when I was younger. Like, they came out when I was in college, I believe. And it was, like, a time where I was, like, really getting into K-pop again after kind of abandoning it in high school. <laughs> um, and they're just, like, they do sweeter music, but they also are very, like, different. They They're, like... They're um, tastemakers in K-pop. They're considered tastemakers. So, like, they'll do something that people are like, that's so weird. That's never been done before. And then, like, 10 Mm. groups will do it after them. Wow. Um, So, like, if you love trendsetters, trendsetters, they are. If you love dance practice videos, Shiny started those. So, groups didn't. That's so cool. Yeah. See, this is why I love talking to Kat about, like, (laughs) K-pop and stuff. Because Kat, like, okay, like, I'm a baby army, but Kat's been there since debut. Oh, since pre-debut. You've been there since pre-debut. I loved that cover, the Mariah Carey cover. So, like, it's so much fun to talk to you about this stuff because I learned so much stuff. It's really fun. It's it's cool because, like, it just gives you kind of a, a nice feel for this amazing music industry yeah so shiny started the dance practice videos it's not that groups hadn't released dance videos before or performance videos but Mm -hmm. the like just them in their dance practice room the informalness of it shiny was just like yeah let me just like release this video of us in like sweats and since then it has become more formal let me just say like even if you watch um bts's dance practice videos if you watch their videos from like 2014 it's literally them in like a practice room in sweatpants and now mm-hmm. it'll be like kind of produced <laughs> you know they'll be like lighting and stuff yeah. um but still shiny started that trend and i love them and they have just like they started off as like a young a young group so like a lot of their songs like um no Nomo yepa is like like older girl who i like you're so pretty and so a lot of their songs were like i'm a young teen boy and like you're 
this Nuna that I like. Um, now they're more like avant-garde, cool. Anyway, definitely. And and as an off-branch of them, Taman, I as a cheat, I say he's the Harry Styles of K-pop. Um, it's kind of like easy to explain both his like general sound and his fashion and the fact that he's a fashion mm-hmm. icon. Um, yeah. He's very different from Harry in so many ways. But like if I were to cheat and say like in a one sentence what Taman is like, he's he's like um, if early Michael Jackson meets Harry Styles. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then the final group, which is the newest group that I love, and Claire knows who I'm going to say. Uh, yes. It's Stray Kids. <laughs> She's been really into oh, it you guys. the last couple months. <laughs> uh, Stray Kids saved my mental health in 2021. Not, not like Aww. on their own, but like I was going through like a big, a big rut where like nothing made me happy and I wasn't interested in doing anything. Like I had a full days where I would just like sit at my computer and just like fuck around and like not know what to do all day and then I'll be like this day was wasted and then I found Stray Kids and I just started watching every video (laughs) that they'd ever made and I just love them and you know why I realized I love them so much it actually does really remind me of when I first was into BTS because there's some groups where like you just love the music you just like to listen to the music the music's great but there's mm-hmm. groups where, like, everything about them, their personalities, yeah. the relationship mm-hmm. within the group, their, like, their entertainment, their ability to entertain you on variety shows, everything, it just, like, sinks in with what you love. And I think BTS does that. I think BTS has found that perfect magical formula, not formula, but, like, they are that perfect uh combination combination thank you mm -hmm. and i do think that's why so many people love bts i think stray kids is also that yeah they're so cute so funny and they like love each other like the members all love each other and you can tell that they're all like best friends with each other and they're all just like so goofy and they don't always take themselves seriously but they're also so talented um so, yeah, I would definitely recommend BTS. I, I not BTS, Stray Kids, especially if you love BTS. Yeah. Yeah, they're really cool. I love their music videos. I think they're so well done. Right? So super, like, entertaining to watch. Yeah. I, I do love them. And, like, BTS produces all their own music. Like, obviously, you have Suga and RM producing so much music. And the other members write music, too. Um, and it's the same with Stray Kids. But since debut... The three three of the members of Stray Kids have written and produced every single song that Stray Kids has ever released, pretty much. And I think like that's pretty cool because their sound is catered specifically to them, just like BTS's sound is catered specifically yeah. to them. Yeah. So cool. Really, really cool. Yay, we did it. Yeah, this question like got too long. I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> We have a lot of feelings about K-pop. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's the end of our holiday episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, not just today, but throughout all of the uh, episodes that we've had on Ride or Die. We hope that you have a great holiday season and that the new year brings you many, many blessings, lots of great writing ideas and minimal stress. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. That last one is so key. Yeah. And thank you so much for, you know, 
being with us on this ride or die journey. We still have like, you know, six-ish more months of content in 2022. But yeah, as this is our our last holiday episode ever. It's kind of bittersweet and kind of a reminder that we're so, so lucky that we have you guys, the listeners who've like been around and and joined us on this fun podcast journey and I'm so grateful. I'm like yeah, <laughs> getting emotional. So I'm so grateful. A lot, of, a lot of people who listen to the show have been with us and have known us, have followed us online before we even had agents or book deals. Yeah. Um, so it's really cool to have such a community and to keep building um, on it and um, supporting one another um, throughout all of it. So yeah, we appreciate you. Yeah, we love you guys and happy end of 2020 and we will see you or no 2020 2021 <laughs> <laughs> happy end of 2021 and we will and we'll see, see you, you in 2022 <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to write or die be sure to check out wicked fox by cat cho and ghost squad by clarabelle a ortega and while you're at it make sure to subscribe to us on itunes and leave us a review see you next time wordies and don't forget to spread the word